up everybody and welcome back to another episode of the knee on belly podcast we are your hosts nate john brandon and boys today we are going to discuss and recap this past weekend's ufc fight night main event jessica andrage versus aaron freaking blanchfield holy cow yeah she's here then we will give you guys our picks and predictions for this saturday's ufc fight night Ryan Spann versus Nikita Krylov. Next, we are going to give you our power rankings for every UFC division. And spoiler alert, women's featherweight is in last place, boys. <laughs> Number 12. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that one out there right now. Uh, but stick around for that. See how we uh, stacked and ranked all the divisions. Then, as usual, all the news and happenings in and around the world of mixed martial arts. But first, boys... What is up? Not much. How you doing, Brandon? Doing all right. Yeah, doing good. When you sometimes when I like when you go with a lot of or a lack of sleep, I should say sometimes you just start kind of hit that second wind. It's just like you're kind of coasting on maybe fumes or whatever. But mm. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, that describes me in like high school. <laughs> like I'd be especially like in the mornings, so I'd stay up real late and then get barely any sleep. And mm-hmm. You find a little third period, get a little extra buzz. Yeah. I always find it funny, like with high school. I feel like more people that I know personally would probably define that, and maybe not. Maybe this isn't like a fair statement, but I feel like a lot of people would probably define that as like their glory years, or like you just see a lot of people traditionally. They're like, oh man, high sweet, school sweet peak. That's where that was my like. I absolutely hated high school. <laughs> with first off, like. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even take my I, senior yearbook oh photo. My, yeah, John is not in the senior yearbook. <laughs> that is a fun fact. Makes sense. Didn't I get a class that. ring, nothing. Yeah, that. Didn't no, I didn't stuff. get a class ring either. But it's just like I just could not have cared less. Um it is it is so weird like mm-hmm. to think about that. I so loved like, middle school. Middle school was great. A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, middle school was fun. I'm just I guess I'm glad I've just done cooler stuff after high school. Yeah. <laughs> like a little later <laughs> in life. I'm not saying this is the pinnacle of it right now, but <laughs> That definitely wasn't high school for you. Mm -mm. No, (laughs) no, no. It was just come in and go home. Yeah, um, it was rough. And do other things. Uh, Boys, we have so much to get to today. Uh, So we're going to jump right in. John, rate, sub, follow. Let the people know before we get to recapping this past weekend's fight night. All right. All the people listening, I got some tasks for you. If you're listening on Apple Podcast and you haven't gone to there and gave us a review and five stars, please do so. Does a lot of things for us as far as pushing us into other people's searches. Um, if you have Spotify, you can leave us five-star review or a five-star. Um, we're on social media. We've just started doing YouTube shorts. They've been doing really well, putting some content on there. Um, we're on Instagram. We're also on TikTok, Neon Belly Podcast. Come show up, show us some love. We got some cool stuff on the way. So remember, five stars, leave us a review. Helps us out a lot. Thank you very much. Cool. Very cool. Boys, this last Saturday, UFC Fight Night, and I've been dying to talk about this main event because Aaron Blanchfield defeating Jessica Andrade via second round rear naked choke. Boys, Aaron Blanchfield might be her. Yeah. I mean, what happened here? Um, I messaged you guys instantly after the fight, and I was like, 
oh, okay. So Blanchfield is like different, different. Like, like uh, okay, I get it. Uh, just absolutely dominated, boys, and blew through Jessica Andrade, who is one of the best female fighters pound for pound right now. I think they said on the broadcast last night, the only woman that she has lost to in this weight division now, other than Aaron Blanchfield is the champion, Valentina Shevchenko. Mm -hmm. Um, And to do a majority of it, by not just outstriking Jessica Andrade, but she was just walking her down, willing to uh, exchange, eating eating everything, willing to trade on the inside. Um, with one of the harder punches in Andrade in the division. Um, and like I told you guys last night in our group chat, it's like, if there was one thing that I would have told, like, if I was her coach going into it, I'd just be like, yeah, you know, we got to stay on the outside. Don't get stuck on the inside. And let's look to counter. And like, dude, I mean, just through caught and then like went for it to like, even where I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, she's doing really good here. She's having success, but I'm like, oh, you know, this is a five round fight. What if she gasses, mm-hmm. you know, Andrade was countering, catching her a little bit in there um, with some big shots to where I'm like, ooh, you know, who, how many of these can she eat over five rounds? You know what I mean? Um, but dude, credit to her hung in there. Maybe defensively, not a sound performance mm-hmm. by Jessica Andrade, you know, making a little bit of, you know, keeping the chin up a lot. Um, wasn't really looking to get out the way was more just kind of like leaning her head back to avoid some of those punches well i think that was just a lack of respect it like, could have been i don't think most people i don't think saw this coming in at all from blanchfield so i think that Andrade especially under i yeah. think i talked about it last week like Andrade was coming off her win i forget who she had just beat um who did she beat last lauren murphy, uh, lauren murphy. yeah that's right she dominated I just her. killed her on the feet so we what? talked about that confidence coming in in short notice against blanchfield yeah. and everyone's like ah oh, you know blanchfield you know probably too much too soon so i think andrade even was in that same headspace and mm-hmm. whoops yep and then in the second round you know comes out gets that goes right back to it by the way just walking her back down but ends up getting to that inside trip on andrade past her guard with just absolute ease and i'm talking like randy couture versus james james tony yeah. he's like straight into side control that force and drage kind of exposed the back and blanchfield just attacks the choke locks it up gets the finish for the hooks too yeah yeah probably that's, nobody better in the division there what were we gonna say no, i was ahead. just gonna say that's the the meta right now in jiu-jitsu is no yeah. hooks throwing yeah. the choke <laughs> you're right you're right not wrong about that um, but like I said, I, I mean, even last week, boys, I knew Blanchfield at just 23 years old had all the potential in the world going into this fight. Um, but like Brandon just said, I thought this might be a little bit too much too soon for her. Um, and boy, not only was I wrong, uh, I think she's ready like right, right now. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, you know, even looking at like the Tyler Santos fight, which this was supposed to be, it's like, whoo, she would have given her problems, man. Mm-hmm. Um, coming into this, but just overall, I mean, just an exclamation mark of a performance and, and your guys' thoughts, like I said, kind of on what we just saw from Blanchfield and, and how good she, man, she really is. Yeah, man. I thought Aaron did a really great job of using her reach and her range. Um, throwing punches over the top, keeping things at a distance, um, keeping it to where Jessica really couldn't get comfortable and really sit down on a lot of those punches, forcing her to kind of be the more passive counterfighter. Um, I do agree with you on the defensive striking. Uh, I do think she's very, very good and, and ready for a big opportunity, but she doesn't want to leave so many openings for somebody like Valentina, who we know is like a sniper out there and can really put you away. But that's a good lesson to learn now instead of in a fight against somebody like Valentina. Yeah, I mean, it, 
how much more fun is a fight like her and Santos sound like now after watching what she did to mm-hmm. Andrade just with the grappling? But um, yeah, I, I don't know if I use the the term right last, but it seemed like the she was able to really connect on the end of her punches very mm-hmm. well. So every time she was landing on Andrade, you saw Andrade's head kind of snap a little bit, like she was really cracking yeah. her at the end, and um, just just really impressive straight down the pipe one twos and um, yeah, what more can you say? I'm going to play the post-fight clip of Aaron, Aaron Blanchfield telling Paul Felder uh, what she wants next because I just I love the answer here. Come in here. You put on a performance like that. Now, Jessica's coming in here so that she can beat you and then make all kinds of call-out, right? She wants to fight the champions. So what would you like? Give me the winner of Shevchenko versus Grasso next. That's what you want? <laughs> and how's that going to play out if you get it? I'm going to win a title and be the UFC champ. There you go. Let's hear it for your winner, Aaron. Yeah, Love the confidence, shot. man. Uh, not only, I believe, she would be the youngest um, female champion as well uh, in UFC history, if I'm not mistaken there as well. Um, but what great timing as well uh, for Aaron to have a performance like this, too, with this title being defended here in two weeks. Um, and I don't want to overlook Alexa Garasso, who's also been on a nice run of form heading into her showdown with Valentina. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, I just think after what we just saw last night, Aaron Blanchfield has a very very legitimate chance of beating the flyweight queen in Valentina Shevchenko. Your guys' thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, no, I think it's a great matchup. I think that um, I, one of the things I, I was thinking about with the fight with her and Andrade was how, how strong was Andrade going to look um, in comparison because that's typically one of her stronger or her point, higher points in fighting is she's a lot stronger than the girl she faces. Right. But Blanchfield was able to handle that really well and she looked stronger than, than Andrade in a yeah. few places in the clinch. So I think that's another aspect when you think about her fighting, not to bury my, my thoughts on who's going to win the um, Grosso versus sure. Shevchenko pick, but I think you have to be physically strong as well, and I think Blanchfield carries that. And mm-hmm. she's obviously very well adept on the ground, and then her striking, like she just showed, she's she's a very well-rounded fighter. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think what becomes really interesting is the, the prospect of how does Valentina look under Blanchfield with the way that she attacks and can finish even with her takedowns, like, yeah. and Valentina has been known to try to match people's skill set and stuff like that. Yeah. That's what makes that a very, a very interesting idea. Yeah. I mean, we saw Santos, you know, have some um, success with getting Valentina down. And I have to admit, man, like seeing what we just saw, it's like, yeah, I can't help but think like if Blanchfield finds a way to get her down, man, I don't know if she's getting back up without tapping out. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. that's crazy to even say. Um, but, I mean, every champion at some point that reign comes to an end, and I'm not saying that's going to happen here. You know, like I said, I still think Tyler Santos has a great case. Um, even seeing this fight now, I'm even more bummed that Tyler wasn't able to fight in this mm-hmm. this matchup because we would have had a clear cut, legitimate number one contender, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but man, I mean, you could definitely wait with Blanchfield, but whew, the iron's hot, hot, yeah. hot. <laughs> Um, but like I said, I still don't want to take away from Santos though, because what she did against Valentina, which was her last fight, she deserved the rematch in my opinion anyways. I mean, not saying Garasso doesn't deserve it. Like I said, she's looked really good too, but, um, I'm really, really like high, higher than I was on Blanchfield. Cause like I said, I just can't believe the striking. I mean, we knew what she was on the ground. We knew going into it she was well-rounded but the striking is just like wow yeah one thing i do want to ask though is this was a short notice fight do yeah you, how much stock do you guys put into that as none. far as the none that that's my thing like none i actually thought if anything that benefited andrage not only coming in 
um, have after just uh, having the performance that she did against Lauren Murphy mm-hmm. just four weeks ago. But like you said, my thought was just the confidence. I think I even said that in my like my pick last week was the confidence that Andrade is coming in with has got to be through the roof. They said on the broadcast that um, during their fighter meetings, I mean, in a sense, she was almost looking past Blanchfield, like already talking about when I win, um, I'm going to call my shot because I can do it at 15. I can do it at 25. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'm going to pick which champ I want to face. Like I'm telling you, man, I think she came in in confidence. She still looked like she was in great shape. I, I'm like, I'm almost more impressed with that probably than I would have been maybe with Tyler Santos. I don't know. That would have been impressive too, though, because yeah. your last opponent for Blanchfield being the number 15 ranked fighter. And then if she would have fought the number one ranked fighter, like who's ever done that? <laughs> like, yeah, And know. then if she would have beat her, that would just would have been crazy, but still very impressive. Yeah. And I mean, and it's something we're going to talk about when we talk about these, you know, divisions later, but you know, I think for Valentina, she's to the point now to where some of these opponents she's getting just kind of, well, this one's left. Well, you know, this is the person I guess you could give it to. Well, now we're starting to get some of these women who are just really earning that shot, and it's very exciting for the division. I agree. Boys, next fight, Alex, the great Hernandez, defeating Jim Miller via unanimous decision. This was a really fun fight, um, mm-hmm. and actually turned out to kind of be quite the slugfest. Um, I think Jim Miller looked really good uh, in the first round and was just kind of landing the bigger shots. I did give him round one. Um, I think two judges gave him gave it to Hernandez 30-27. It was a close round um, because by the end of round one, um, Hernandez did seem to kind of have found his timing and distance, mm-hmm. um, and that's exactly what the ter- second round kind of turned out to be there. Hernandez just seemed to be a step ahead of Jim Miller on the feet um, and was just too much in terms of mixing up the attacks on the feet, especially stepping in with the knees and elbows. Um, Hernandez really just kind of beat up Miller in that second round. Then in the third you know, um, Miller really put it all on the line, I guess, you know, really showed his toughness and that he was coming forward. Um, but Hernandez again, just did such a good job countering and staying out of the way of those, uh, big advancements by Jim Miller. Jim Miller did get on Hernandez's back towards the end. And I thought in that situation, Jim Miller, I thought he was going to find a way, man. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this, we have comeback of the year right here locked up. <laughs> and, uh, but credit to Hernandez who, uh, I don't know if this, I mean, he did do a good job of getting kind of his uh, shoulder blades to the mat there, I guess, or mm-hmm. kind of not letting Jim Miller get the angle. But um, this is exactly what a guy like him needed. Um, and Alex Hernandez, uh, in this stage of his career, getting a big win on short notice against a legend like Jim Miller, um, who was on a win streak himself coming into this, um, that's got to be huge for the confidence of Alex Hernandez. Yeah, and I think Miller's last win, just to do some MMA math, his, or, uh, yeah, Miller's last win was against Donald Cerrone, right? Yes, And yes. Her, Hernandez, what you talked about last week, John, his his drop-off really st- started after he lost to Cerrone. So mm-hmm, to come yeah. in, like you said, and get a win over a guy who's just recently beaten the guy that kind of started you down the wrong path. Yeah, like, again, just really good for the confidence yeah. and to show that he's progressing and getting more to where he needs to be as far as performing under those, you know, bigger names in front of you and, and bigger, brighter lights above you as well. So that's where good yeah, for him. I thought there was a lot of adjustments for Hernandez here, especially staying conventional instead of going southpaw the whole time to kind of match what 
Jim Miller was doing. And he didn't really, every time he got away from it, Jim Miller would make him pay, but he did a really good job of staying to it. And I thought just the the mental side. I felt like all these, some of these fights he's been losing, he's winning so early and it looks great. And then he runs into a wall and just falls apart. And there were some moments where Jim Miller would rush him and he had some good good situations in a pocket where it's like man these are the points where he usually folds out and he would circle out and get right back to his game plan so I thought it was a very very good performance from Alex Hernandez boys we've talked a lot about you know kind of sometimes these cards that aren't as strong on paper and rarely do we have it where they're not strong on paper and then they're not a good watch (laughs) and last night boys was brutal uh, you know, I, so much respect for the men and women that make that walk um, each and every Saturday. Um, but, boy, there it was a tough watch last night, mm-hmm. boys. Um, not a great main card. I, I think there were some great fights on the prelims. Unfortunately, I was unable to watch them. Um, but, man, the main card was pretty rough. Um, other than the Miller and, and Hernandez, uh, or uh, Jim Miller, Hernandez, and then our main event. Um, But one other fight I do want to make mention of uh, was Marcin Pracnio defeating William Knight via unanimous decision. And boys, Marcin Pracnio landed 56 leg kicks um, and just showed that muscles and bench press numbers don't mean much in MMA. Um, This was just such a weird fight. Um, Seemed like William Knight just never got going Mm -hmm. um and maybe it was just the leg kicks and stuff early and you know uh, Pracnio doing a good job of like maintaining the distance I almost like it was almost like William you know like when you have two magnets and you do them like in the opposite or whatever and they like push away from each other Pracnio would get close and then it's like he would just bounce off of Will and like right out of range um but even before that like when that fight started I'm like I don't even really know if William Knight like what was that I mean, yeah. just came out with no energy, it seemed like, or just no willingness to, I don't know. I, I mean, it was just really weird, but uh, William Knight was outstruck by Pracnio 79 to 8. That's how many strikes Total. Knight threw? Yeah. Total. He eight. threw 8. Well, he threw more. He landed A eight. little bit more, but only landed 8 to Pracnio 79. And... Um, I don't even know. I mean, some people, I've seen a lot of people saying that was the worst, like, UFC performance of all time. Um, I would submit to you to go watch um, Houston Alexander versus Kimbo Slice. (laughs) That was, like, a very same thing, just a weird, weird fight. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't don't know, because that one was just, like, Houston Alexander just, like, it was almost like in the video game when you used to just be able to spin around the circle, like, kind of sidestep. I mean, it was just kind of weird, but kind of a similar thing. Um, but I don't know what were your guys. I mean, I'm just sitting here like after like the first round, like into the second. I'm like, what is that? What is this? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, and I get like credit to Pracnio, right? Like such a smart game plan. I mean, William Knight is. I mean, I think they said he benches like 495 Fort, pounds yep. and squats. He's like, a unit, dude. 800. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And I understand not getting close and engaging. But like, I think almost by the third round, I was getting more frustrated with Pracnio. Like, dude, he cannot like just go like finish this guy. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I but, thought. I thought he did a good job of like at least mixing it up and going to the head a few times. William Knight ate a lot of stuff too. Yeah, um, I mean, there's some toughness in there for sure from William Knight. Could have dropped at any moment. Could have not answered the bell mm-hmm. going into any of these rounds and just said I'm done. Um, kept coming out for every round. 
I just, I just, this was weird, it, man. It, it looks like a he, weird fight. He tried to do a couple things right, but it'd only be once in a round. Yeah. He, you know, he fired back with a really strong leg kick, and I was like, well, that's something that will help yeah, you. Yeah, there he landed a couple of those yeah. that were like, Whoa. Then he doesn't do it anymore. Yeah. He, he would get a hold of the legs, and you're like, well, William Knight has a really nice blast double, and he just couldn't finish it, probably because maybe he just wasn't respecting how quickly those leg kicks will add yeah. up to him because he was acting like they weren't nothing until the third yes. round where he has to lean against the cage and lift his leg up because he can't put weight on it. You also got to wonder just with he squats 585 so he and he power lifts a lot so yeah. you got to wonder with how much lactic acid he just has in general when you start mm -hmm. getting popped like that um like obviously with some when somebody lands really great calf kicks we, we've seen it before where guys just have trouble with movement but I just wonder with how much he does lift yeah how much of a propensity he had to have a stronger effect does that make sense yeah. when mm -hmm. getting it when he eats those so yeah, it could be I, I know the the commentating people were just tearing him I apart just, yeah i just think he just all the things aside like i think second third round the leg was just so compromised like what more could he have really done but i just think he just got off to such a slow start even from the beginning where mm -hmm. it was just like he just never really had a chance in that fight after that but uh but yeah i mean like i said just that was kind of the only other, you know, moment on this card that, like, really just stuck out to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't have any other results that I really wanted to get to. Um, yeah, it's great. I'm glad that the main event in the opener was really was really good because that could have been. I mean, if those fights don't go well, this is a really really tough fight. But for for Blanchfield and for Hernandez, those are really good. You know, I'm here moments for both of them. I just I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'm I'm not gonna like say names specifically. Um, but I had a feeling after that card, right? I feel like. Uh, MMA roster watch is going to be very active on Monday for cuts. Like yeah. I just, I had that feeling where there was like so many people that number one had losses and then didn't look impressive in their like even at all to where it's like and kind of people that were on the bubble. Which coming into this card, there was a lot of people on the bubble in these fights. As it was, you know, think about a guy like Alex Hernandez. I mean, if he would have lost this fight to Jim Miller, he could have been one guy that was like mm -hmm. on his way out potentially. So, but yeah, I was just like, man, I feel like a lot of these guys. Uh, come Monday, Tuesday, might not even be on the UFC roster um, anymore. I mean, there was just it was just some tough watches, man. Yeah, it was the the co-main, the Jordan Wright. You know, you know how exciting he is. The guy hadn't seen a first round until or after a first round until this fight. Yeah. So there were some good matchups that just didn't plan yeah, out. And like I mean, even that, like you know, Zach Pauga. I mean, that was a good performance from him. Yeah, good game plan. Yeah, yeah, and he's somebody like even you know. I kind of knew when he was a heavyweight, like, yeah, he's just a little undersized for this. But I thought he looked okay at 205. And mm -hmm. He's an interesting guy to keep watching, but yeah. Uh, before we get into our picks for this week, though, Brandon, update us on our scores. Well, we all picked the same fighters, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, they did not pan out. So That's there first. was no changes in the score whatsoever. I don't think we have ever all three not got a single point. <clears throat> yeah. Well, we don't often all three pick the same fighters like that point. either. So. This is a, a point to... Uh, put out to our listeners that we're just doing the best we can to guess what happens. <laughs> like, you never know what can happen in these fights when people either show up yeah. or, or somebody doesn't. I think midweek I started, like, thinking about my Hernandez-Miller pick, and I'm like, man, I really picked with my heart there for Jim Miller. I just like Jim Miller. I mean, he's just such a legend, man. I love him, and I might have, like, picked with my heart a little bit there. But I, I will tell you, I would, even going back, like, I mean, having know what I know now, obviously I would have picked Blanchfield, but I didn't regret my Andrade pick. I thought... I just I did not see that coming at all, but mm -hmm. that's why I love this sport, man. Because you just never know. And speaking of which, that's going to continue this Saturday because we have some great fights, boys, that I'm really excited for. 
this Saturday, as I mentioned, February 26th from the UFC Apex, our main event. In the men's light heavyweight division, number six, Nikita Krylov versus number eight, Ryan Superman Span. Uh, boys, Krylov comes into this fight two and two in his last four after losing back-to-back matchups to Magomed Ankalaev and Paul Craig. Krylov back, bounced back in a big way and comes into this fight with back-to-back wins over Alexander Gustafsson and most recently Volkan Ozdemir last October in his last bout. His opponent, Ryan Spann, also comes into this fight off back-to-back wins and also back-to-back first-round finishes uh, by defeating Ion Kuntalabe via guillotine and most recently defeating Dominic Reyes via first-round knockout back in November. Um, I think this is a big fight for both of these guys mm-hmm. who at times in their career um, have really looked like future title cha- challengers um, but just kind of can't really seem to break through and get to that next level or break into that top five. Um, so it's interesting that they'll both have that that opportunity here and it's against each other so let's go man let's see who's going to be the guy to go up and start uh battling for that top five place um so last place i believe is still brandon then correct mm-hmm. brandon what is your pick for this fight i like Krolov in this fight um i think he's got more ways to win he definitely has the edge in the grappling department i know span's got a submission wins but span is such a big guy i think he's got a few guillotines under his belt that's i think one of his primary ways to win but i've rewatched yeah. a few fights from both and the way anthony smith just ran through span um, really kind of makes me think Croy Love can have some similar success if he's able to be aggressive on his feet, which he typically is. But I think, again, um, he's going to be the better wrestler. So if he can stick to his wrestling like he did against Ozemir, um, I'll go with Krylov on this one. So I'm going to take Krylov. Krylov, am I pronouncing that right? I think it's Krylov. Krylov. So I'll take Krylov, and I'll say um, this man's tough, but I think I can see a finish here. I'll go with second-round submission. Nice. Uh, man, I really love this fight. Um, yeah. Both of these guys, if you look at their last two performances, some of the more impressive guys in the division. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing that's scary. Uh, Ryan Spann just started training, man. You know, <laughs> he talked about after that last fight, he's finally able to do like real camps and stuff. And if that's not the, able to, he just is. Yeah, it's not just like is. he wasn't. <laughs> right. Which always makes me nervous for picking for a guy that just admits that he didn't train because it's like, <laughs> well, how am I supposed to believe that now you're training? Yeah, right. <laughs> like you said that after you just knocked some guy out. Like right. it's easy to say. That. So, it, well, in, in saying that, if that's the version of Ryan Span we're going to get, and he's still he's training more often now, that's a scary uh, proposition. It is interesting. Um, both of them have over ten subs in their career. They're both really submission heavy, but they both also have very good striking. Um, Koylov definitely uses his wrestling more. He's a more accurate puncher, but Ryan Span is showing some really X factor uh, power. I feel like, and he's a really really big submission threat. So I'm gonna take. Ryan Spann by uh, third round TKO. Yeah, I think what makes this, this is just good matchmaking by the UFC. Mm-hmm. I mean, very tough to pick for. Um, and I think it's because, like I just said, both of these guys, I kind of said it for Ryan Spann, but both of these guys are just so hard to figure out because you're just not sure what version will show up on fight night. I've gotten both of these guys wrong so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's we've just seen examples from both guys where, too, where maybe the fight IQ is a little off, um, and they've both made mistakes in fights that have cost him, like, you know, with... Um, uh, Span, who was it when he got elbow? Uh, was it Johnny Walker? Walker? Yeah. Um, and then with Kroylov in the Paul Craig fight, you know, <laughs> pretty much had Craig not, but then again, who hasn't done that to Craig? Yeah, where they have him yeah, knocked it, down. It's sure, yeah, it's sure. Um, 
But Krylov is a guy who lately we've seen come out and he just gets all over guys and really looks to push the pace, kind of get guys to go backwards a little bit. Um, his striking is best when he is coming forward, and I think he's also because uh, he also likes to make guys fight close to that cage so he can level change and go and shoot if if need be if he doesn't like what he's getting on the feet. Um, and a game plan like that uh, can be risky against a guy like Span, who's just big and hits like a Mack truck. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Span knocked out Dominic Cruz with a jab. I mean, it was literally just Reyes. a one. Or uh, who did I say? Cruz. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> same same thing, you know? Yeah, same uh, But knocked out Dominic Reyes with just a straight jab right mm -hmm. down. I mean, that's crazy, freaky, freaky power. Against Dominic Reyes, who'd been knocked out that's twice. Tr it's fair, but dude, who, I mean, I don't care who it is. I mean, you knock him out with a straight punt, like just a one. Like, that's crazy. We don't see that, like, ever. Um, also has a pretty good grappling base, uh, does Ryan Spann, uh, specifically the guillotine, I think, as Brandon mentioned, um, which could be sh uh, risky for a guy like Kroilov shooting in, um, especially against the cage like he likes to do. Um, I think, I think this is just a closely even match that as cliche as it may sound or seem, I just think it comes down to who makes the first mistake for both of these guys, just because mm -hmm. that's kind of what it's been when they haven't looked their best. Um, it's just been little mistakes that you can kind of always pinpoint, um, which I guess is dumb because you probably could for everybody. Well, not really, because some people just get their ass kicked, right? right. <laughs> um, it is five rounds, uh, but both of these guys are finishes. Usually look to finish early, do both of them. Um, so I'd be shocked if this goes five rounds. Um, I think I am going to slightly lean Ryan Span though. Um, I just think the way Kroilov might approach this fight could play right into Span's game. Also, defensively, Kroilov has looked a little shaky at times, and you just can't allow Ryan Span to touch your chin in any capacity. So... Um, so give me Ryan Spann by first round knockout. Let's nice. get it done early. Let's go. All right, boys. Bad, next next fight, the co-main event for this card. Another one I'm looking forward to in the middleweight division. Number eleven, Andre Muniz. Muniz, excuse me, versus Brendan Allen. Boys, Andre Muniz comes into this fight as one of the UFC middleweight's brightest contenders. Muniz is currently on a nine-fight win streak in his career. Seven of those wins under the UFC banner, including his Dana White contender, contender series fight. Uh, three of his last four wins, too, have been by first-round submission. Uh, his last victory was a unanimous decision victory over Uriah Hall last July. His opponent, Brendan Allen, Coming into this fight on a three-fight win streak, uh, Allen is also a winner of five in his last six. Um, I have to say I was a bit surprised to not see a name, a number next to his name uh, when mm -hmm. getting ready for this fight with Brendan Allen because he just looks so good, and he's been on a nice run. Uh, his last victory was a first-round submission over Christoph Jaco back in October. Uh, Allen, like Muniz, is a Dana White Contender Series product who's really had a great run in the UFC so far, only two losses. Um, and he's definitely been in there with some of the top level talent, which includes a submission victory over Kevin Holland, I think in like his second or third fight in the UFC. Um, so he's been in there with some bigger names, some tough uh, competition. Um, this fight is just a great test for both of these guys. Um, and it'll either be Muniz kind of kicking himself into that top 10 or Allen just getting into the rankings, which once again, kind of surprised he wasn't. Uh, so let's kick our, kick off our picks real quick with Brandon. Who are you taking? I'm sticking, sticking to my grappling roots here. I'm going to go with, um, Muniz. I think he's, he carries that nine fight win streak. That's a lot of confidence, but again, I just, 
the last fight I watched with Allen was actually his fight against Holland. And Holland took his back in that fight and was able to hold, hold it pretty yeah. well. So I feel like if Muniz gets a hold of Allen here, he's going to have his way. Um, I for, I don't remember, so don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure Muniz averages around two to three takedowns a minute. Oh, you've got it pulled up. What does it say? Two. Two, and two a minute. That's really good. Um, so I, I'm just going Muniz here. I think he's going to run through him. Allen's somebody who I just can't. I don't know. I never know what I'm going to get when I see him. Yeah. Like he's got some good performances, but then he's got some that he, he's some losses, and I'm like, I didn't. I wouldn't have guessed that. Sure. So, um, sticking with Muniz, I'll say yeah, the last two were first round. I'll I'll go with first round submission. Muniz here. John, who you got? Uh, I'm I'm similar with Brandon here. I think Muniz has he brings a very unique thing where if I would have said, you know, in the fight with Jacare that he's going to sub him, or the fight with Uriah Hall that he's going to be able to win a decision. You know, it's hard to say. Like, I wouldn't have felt great about those if you look at the optics of what those two guys bring to a fight. And I think Eric Anders also brings a lot of similar things to what Brendan Allen on the stand-up would bring. So I'm going to go uh, with Muniz, and I'm going to say second-round sub. But Brendan Allen is very, very uh, competent. I just feel like Muniz is on a different type of streak right now. Yeah, I think both of these guys are extremely talented. Muniz is obviously a grappling specialist. Brendan Allen is a really just well-rounded mixed martial artist. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, this comes down to, I just genuinely think Muniz is a future title contender and I don't think he's too far removed from it as I do think he creates an interesting matchup for a lot of guys at the top of middleweight, mm -hmm. like right now. Like, that's how good of a grappler he is. Kind of reminds me of a Damian Maya, um, but I think with just better striking. Um, mm -hmm. Also, like, something to look for I think he has a sneaky good left high kick and left body kick um, just in general, especially when he's fighting <clears throat> orthodox guys because um, he's a southpaw. He's just really good at finding that angle to get those kicks off. Um, uh, but I just think everything he does on the feet complements his game and getting to the clinch or the takedown. He also has really good timing on his level changes to get the fight down. Um, that's why I said I think he's a matchup problem for a lot of guys right now in this division. Um, and then once he's on top of guys, um, he's probably the best in the division from there, if not one of the best, mm -hmm. um, as far as just getting on top of people with his pressure, his transitions are just next level. And obviously with 15 submission victories, his finishing ability is great too. Um, Muniz does have just four professional losses and all four are by knockout. Um, so if I'm Brendan Allen, obviously coming from a great team like the Killcliffe FC with the legendary Henry Hoof in his corner. That's definitely a guy you want sitting there in that seat if you need to get it done on the feet. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I do think it will be a grappling battle, and I have to think Muniz will win that 10 out of 10 times. Um, so give me Andre Muniz. I'll say by third round submission. I do think he's going to finish. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, I, just, I do think he's good. I could see it going to a... Uh, um, a unanimous decision going to a decision Brendan Allen also really good scrambling so I don't think mm -hmm. it's going to be just a walk like a wash like I don't think he's just going to get run through um but yeah I mean I just I don't I really like Andre Muniz yeah Muniz has a 78 inch reach too that's yeah, something that I just want him to stay a little bit more active I don't think he's fought since July um I'm not sure what's really kept him out I couldn't find anything it's been a while mm -hmm. um so hopefully this year you know stays a little bit more active that would be because I, th I think he really could compete at the top of this division. Mm -hmm. um, also on this card, I want to mention one other fight, and that's because we have the undefeated 9-0 and Tantiana Suarez returning after almost four years, boys. Four years. I don't think she's fought since like 2019, I think. 20 yeah, tw June 8th, 2019. Um, I mean, she's just been plagued by injuries her whole career, but I'm telling you what. If she is healthy, 
Um, she is probably, other than, you know, like Blanchfield, like maybe Tyler Santos, like we discussed, the biggest threat to Valentina Shevchenko, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, she returns on this card against Montella, Montana De La Rosa. Um, but, man, I'm telling you, I... Tantiana Suarez has been somebody that I've just been so high on, you know, especially uh, early on in her career. And then, like I said, the the injuries have just killed her. Uh, I think mainly her knees and stuff have been the problem. But um, I'm really excited to see her back and look out because if she's back and she's in any type of form that she was uh, before the injuries – I think she's a future champ. I yeah. still feel that way. When you beat Garasso and Carla Esparza. She's different, man. By, like, she finishing them. different. Ages in, they're two wins that have aged very well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she's a minus 800 on this, so. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I don't, I couldn't really, I know I've seen Montana De La Rosa fight before. I yeah, couldn't she, really recall many of her performances, but, it, yeah, she's got a bull in front of her. Yeah, her last four is. fights are a loss, draw, a TKO win, and then another loss, so. Alrighty, boys, let's get to our UFC division power rankings. Um, so, uh, this is what it is. So, we went through uh, and ranked all 12 of the UFC's divisions, 1 through 12. Um, obviously, 1 being the best, 12 being the worst, just in case you needed to know that. Um, and shout out to, real quick to MMA on Point, who put this idea out there on their Twitter a few weeks ago. And mm-hmm. we kind of took it and sat on it, shelved it, because we wanted to do a segment on it or have fun with it. Um, and just to give a little bit of insight um, on how we came up with the rankings and kind of like what our criteria was, right? Um, I think one of the biggest things we looked at and a word that kind of consistently came up was just overall competitiveness, but competitiveness uh, mm-hmm. of the d- particular divisions, every division. Um, and with that, we did consider the champions. Um, and if there's a dominant champion who's also beat multiple opponents, you know, we did kind of dock points for that as it does kind of show a gap in the division between champion and the rest. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? That just kind of brought the competitive this down a little bit mm-hmm. don't want to you know it i don't think we, in every case you know we didn't overshadow a whole division for one champion but sometimes it's just blatantly which we'll get to you'll see where it's like yeah that does kind of hurt a little bit mm-hmm. like i said especially the ones that have faced multiple opponents um we also looked at the top five of each division and how competitive they are between each other and against each other and all that stuff mm-hmm. um we looked at the strength of the fighters ranked 10 through 15 in every division and also the unranked talent talent to kind of give an idea of like you know where what's the future of the division how how deep does it go even past the top 15 uh, we did consider the depth of every division like I mentioned and lastly um, just kind of our overall interest or investment in the division so for example how excited do you get um, to see the top talent in these divisions compete and how fast does the interest fade the lower these uh, divisions get in the rankings if if there's two fighters you know that are like 12 versus 14 in a certain division like mm-hmm. do you really care is that fight really something that gets you excited um, and what divisions make it easy to spend that $80 when their top fighters are on a big pay-per-view you know that kind of stuff right um, obviously it's still very subjective for us uh, we did it just for fun uh, we aren't suggesting this is the best way of doing it it's just the best yeah. and fairest way that we came up with um, and because a division is ranked lower um, and for our reasoning we're not seeing that there's no good fighters in that division either i mean all these every ufc division has top level talent it's just this is how we ranked them um so with that um 
we will kick it off with our 12th ranked UFC division. Um, I said it off the top, spoiler alert, um, but it is the women's featherweight division coming in at number 12. Uh, obviously, this may be a bit of low-hanging fruit here as there is literally only one fighter in this division, and that is the champ, Amanda Nunes. But the UFC does still recognize it as a division with a champion, so we have to rank it. But ultimately... Um, Instead of women's featherweight, they could just call this the UFC Amanda Nunes division. Um, <laughs> they probably, honestly, are just keeping it alive out of respect for her as the champ. Allows her to kind of be double champ, I mean. Um, but when she does retire, unless there's like some hot prospects, multiple prospects, plural there, coming up, I'd kind of imagine this division goes with her. Um I would almost say it's a phantom division at this point because, like mm -hmm. I said, nobody else is in. I mean, I guess any 35er is capable of going up and challenging. Um, but for right now, we will consider it one. So number 12 is the women's featherweight division. Moving into number 11, John, All right, let us know. Coming in at number 11, we have women's flyweight. Um, not unlike many other divisions over the past few years, women's flyweight has been dominated by Valentina Shevchenko. Eight-time champion. She's beat eight different opponents, so there's not a lot of competition there in that in that sense. Her last fight versus Talia Santos did make things very interesting, and, and as does the top five. Uh, but Valentina has beat three of those five, with her next fight being against Alexa Grasso. Then as you look further down, there's some nice prospects with, like we mentioned, Aaron Blanchfield, Casey O'Neill, Macy Barber, Tatiana Suarez, if she can um, get back to form. But it's hard to say how close any of them are to competing with Valentina, and that's the reason why we have them coming in at number 11. Yeah, I think Blanchfield changes that, you know, the, the, the uh, discussion there a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just – the eight eight different defenses against eight different uh, you know opponents kind of just shows a little bit of lack of depth there, and mm -hmm. then you know when you get lower in the rankings, other than some of those prospects, um, it also gets a little bit weaker there. So that's number eleven, moving us right into number ten. Brandon, what is our tenth ranked UFC division? Coming in at number ten, we have women's bantamweight division. So this is another one that's very similar to the one twenty five pound division for the women's, where Amanda Nunes has really kind of ran it for quite a while now. Yeah. Things did get kind of interesting with uh, Juliana Pena when she came in and she knocked off Amanda Nunes a couple fights ago. Um, that was going to make things pretty enticing. But even in the rematch, as Nate talked about a little earlier, Amanda kind of ran through Juliana um, in the rematch and just kind of really stayed where she her where she was originally as far as running the division. Um, you had a couple. Fun fighters win there as far as like Holly Holm and um, like Tate is in there. But at this point, it's also not very stacked as far mm -hmm. as star-studded contenders. Um, so that's why we have it coming in at number 10. Yeah, Amanda's beat three of the five, uh, three out of three of the five top five. <laughs> that was kind of weird to mm -hmm. say. Um, and even within there, I mean, I will say for this division is a lot of them in terms of like being competitive within themselves. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of these women's hold wins over each other. You know, um, I was kind of shocked to see some of the people like even Raquel Pennington's beat. Um, and I do think when Amanda retires, I think this division will be wide open. And mm -hmm. I think this is one that could move up our power rankings, you know, when she does go a little bit. Because uh, I do think we might see different champions coming in and contenders being able to build. But, you know, especially when you get lower uh, outside of the top 10 here, you know, it does get a little bit weaker. And then in terms of like prospects, you know, unranked, it's just like, yeah, it's not the, the strongest. Um, so that, you know, I've, I told you guys, I almost felt bad for, you know, our first bottom three being women's divisions. Uh, but I feel like it's justified here. Our champions um, are just so strong, man. They are. And 
and active. And stick around because the rankings for the women's uh, divisions, they, we still got one more. It gets better for the women's <laughs> divisions, trust. Um, number nine, boys, is men's flyweight. Uh, men's flyweight just kind of barely edged women's bantamweight. At first, we kind of had bantamweight or men's flyweight ranked below bantamweight. Um, but only reason that we did rank it a bit higher is because there's kind of been that back and forthness with the title, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was only between two guys, but it just does show that there is a, a there's a competitiveness there, right? Getting back to that word. Um, but it also shows that there is a lack of stars in the division, which definitely brought this down, brings the whole division down a little bit. Um, there is a decently strong top five. The champ, uh, Brandon Moreno, has faced three of the top five um, and lost to two of them, Pantoja and Figueredo. Uh, Figueredo is still ranked there in, in this division, technically. Um, and also, you have some really good prospects, even outside of the top five, like Alex Perez, Manel Kopp, Mohamed Mokayev. Um, but I think losing Figueredo also is a really big blow for this division. It's going to kind of bring them down a little bit. Um, having him in here might have moved it up a little bit, but a big name like that, I mean, a former champion, uh, your number one ranked uh, flyweight leaving, it does hurt it a little bit. Um, And then, like I said, just kind of a lack of star power there. I'm going to make a case that him moving out of the division actually helps it. And maybe you're right. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's one Because you can't have them fight another seventh time. And he gives room for these guys who aren't (laughs) as big. Well, I don't think they would have anyways. You know, I think they would have had to have moved him on. And I think he's a guy, when you're talking about like your Alex Perez's or Mohamed Mukhaev's or Manel Cops, where... Them facing a Figueredo really shows you how good the whole division is as a whole. Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of more what I meant, but I do see because I think the titles, uh, the title fights between him and Moreno, as long as Moreno had the belt, were going to be done anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't have him go much more. Also important not to forget this division was almost cut it's by the UFC yeah. at one point. It's so. a very good point, and there's some decent guys. Like I said, it's just especially once you get to that ten to fifteen range, it, it really has that drop off, like where we kind of docked some points as well. Uh, so moving into number eight, John, who do we have? All right, at number eight we have the light heavyweights. Uh, since the exit of John Jones, this division has really struggled to find its way. But as of recently, they've built up a lot of hype with guys like Yuri Prohoshka and Jamal Hill, the current champion or the the interim champion or the current champion about to get back with uh, Yuri, hopefully. The problem is that when you get past them, Blahovich and Magomed, there seems to be a, a big drop off in talent. Now, if guys like Ryan Spann and Johnny Walker can continue to improve and somebody like Alexander Rakic can come back healthy, it could definitely move the light heavyweights up on this list. But as of right now, they're still kind of trying to find their way, although they do have some really heavy hitters toward the top. Yeah, it's getting better. But like you said, I mean, since since Jones and DC, I mean, even really more Jones, just because with DC, they did have that kind of competitive edge where it was like, both guys, you know, I guess Jones kind of ran that rivalry. No mm-hmm. big deal. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like this division, it's it's getting there, but it still does have a ways to go. Uh, number seven, Brandon, take it away. Number seven, we have the men's heavyweight division. So um, a little, a little, I guess you would say low on the list. Um, but at the same time, this is arguably the best the heavyweight division has ever looked yeah. in the history of the UFC. Um, we just lost the champ in Francis, but at the same time, we had a nice little trade, I suppose, with John Jones coming sure. in, so that mm-hmm. could provide a little balance there. Um, but the top five is fairly strong here, and we also have some good prospects as well when you have names like Almeida, Spivak, Aspinall, and the dynamic of the of the heavyweights as well, I just think in terms of fighters, has completely changed. You know, sure. we're not mm-hmm. talking about the old days where you guys have them coming in and they're just throwing hands. These guys... <laughs> Are jujitsu experts? They're they're very athletic. They can move well, and they make fun fights. So, um, at number seven, we have the men's heavyweights. I agree. Number six, boys. 
uh, we have. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, it is me. I am. I am number six, mm-hmm. right? Okay, sorry, I didn't have that. Okay, number six <laughs> in our UFC power rankings, we have the men's middleweight division. Um, up until Alex Pereira beat Israel Adesanya, this division was almost a lock, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like the women's flyweight with Valentina. Um, Izzy beat six different guys for the title, so it just kind of showed there was a gap, once again, between him and the rest. Um, but the the uh, this division has just a lot of potential as far as top top guys coming up you know you have Nazardini Mavov Andre Muniz who we discussed uh Drikas Duplessis Roman Dolice I mean a lot of young mm-hmm. talent um but outside of Izzy and Whitaker um I just don't know who right now uh can kind of challenge for that title and make it interesting we did mention you know when we were kind of talking about this division you got Hamzat Shumayev who um we, we're still putting him in with the welterweights because mm-hmm. that's kind of what it that's where he left off. We have no idea. That's where he's ranked. That's where who he's, even knows? Yeah. What, I don't even know if Hamzat knows what he's doing right now. No. Uh, but um, but obviously, uh, you know, he kind of changes that that talk about guys that could compete. But he just makes his division even better if he commits to it. Um, but really, Alex beating Izzy does really open this division up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited for the future of it. And there is, I mean, you even still got guys like Marvin Vittori, Paulo Costa. I mean, there is still some big names in there that mm-hmm. really make this division interesting. Um, so that was our number six division. Moving on to number five, John. Who do we All got? right. Coming in at number five, we have men's featherweight. Uh, when you have a champion that's so dominant that he goes up and wait to challenge himself, and he also just so happens to be the pound-for-pound pound number one rank fighter, it becomes a little hard to gauge the talent below him. But having beat only three different opponents for his title makes it very interesting, uh, talking about Alexander Volkanovsky, of course. Uh, in that, if you look at the who he beat before he got to the title, only Darren Elkins is still in the UFC. So him facing new blood is a big selling point. There's definitely some legit contenders uh, when you talk about Ilya Tapora. Chikatse, Arnold Allen, Ivolov. It's a, and this is interesting is all. It's also interesting because it's hard to say if anybody like these guys can all beat each other outside of Vulcan Max. Those are the two guys that's kind of been staying at the top. But right now, there um, you also have somebody like a Yeir who just kind of closing that gap a little bit with a, a really good fight with Max and then winning the interim title. So there's a lot of still interest in this division. There's some really good guys coming up. Um, and yeah, that's that's where we have the men's featherweight. Yeah, this is one where it's like, you know, you think about with Volkanovsky, uh, he has only beat, you know, he, he you say the word dominant, but he has only beat three different guys for the title. I mean, he's looked really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason for mentioning, you know, even before with the title um, is um, before he got to the title, there's only, you know, only Darren Elkins still being in the UFC is when you run through the, that list of some of those guys, it's like, man. And like we said with Yair, kind of closing in on him and Max as well. I mean, obviously Yair and Max had a really close fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make you wonder, like, what's going to happen when he gets against a Yair in a, hopefully in a couple months or, you know, if Arnold Allen makes it up there. I mean, so this division is still very, very fun. Um, regard- and this is like, because I wanted to mention that because that's kind of the exception where people are like, well, Val- but Valentina, you guys, you know, Dropped it for her because she's so dominant, but it's like, yeah, but Volk's only beat three. Different type of dominance. Absolutely. And one of the guys, Korean Zombie, I don't even think was ranked in the top five at that time, was Mm -hmm. he? I don't even remember. So um, that was our number five. This is where it gets better for the women. Brandon, (laughs) who is our number four UFC division? 
All right, at number four, we have the women's strawweight division. So this is this might be one of the most competitive divisions in the UFC, just in terms of uh, title challengers and the title changing hands. So since two thousand um, since twenty fourteen, excluding interim titles, that no other division has changed changed hands more than this one. Um, there's been five different champs, all of which are active, with the exception of Joanna Jonjerczyk. Um, you also have some surging contenders in Mackenzie Dern, uh, Yan Chownow, and the returning Tatiana Suarez. So, um, of the women's divisions, this one is obviously the most star-studded. You've also got names like Rose Namajunas, Carla Esparza, John um, Marina, Wei John Wei Li, Marina, Marina Rodriguez. Um, Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a star-studded roster, so this is why um, women's starweights in at number and, four. And who knows? So like, many you, fresh matchups. Yeah, you can uh, that, that, yeah, you can match these ladies up with each other, and who knows? I mean... Mm-hmm. It's they're so competitive, so closely matched. Um, it, it's just a fun, fun division, I think, yeah. and more than deserving of that number four spot. Just being a top four UFC division, I think it de- deserves it. Uh, boys, our number three UFC division is men's welterweight. Um, this was kind of a, a tough one because of how dominant Kamara Usman was for a long time, right? Kind of getting back to like what we said with the men's well uh, middleweight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this division, unlike some of the others that we've kind of mentioned, including uh, middleweight, has guys that could challenge for the belt right now mm-hmm. at one through ten almost. I mean, that's just a deep division. Plus, you got future stars like Jack Della Maddalena, Shavkat Rachmanov. Um, those guys are on their way. And they're getting closer. Um, um, and even with how dominant Usman was, I mean, he had some tough fights in there, right, with Colby and Gilbert Burns had him in some trouble early. Um, but it's just no doubt um, that as you go through the rankings um, – that this division is just stacked, man. Mm-hmm. Just so full of stars, so full of names. Um, you could put a lot of these guys um, on like fight nights as main events, and I'm talking even guys outside of the top ten, almost mm-hmm. some in some cases. Um, but like middleweight, Leon beating Usman opened the division wide up, um, and probably even more so than middleweight, given the talent and the depth here. Mm-hmm. Um, so number three. Men's welterweight number two. Moving into it, we're getting close. I'd like I would love to know what people think because there's only two divisions left, obviously. Right, and it's probably the two that are most argued on which is the best division in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So, John, what was our number two? All right, division? Uh, just narrowly missing number one. Our number two is men's lightweight. Um, I didn't need to say men's there, but uh, number two is lightweight. Obviously, one of the deepest divisions in the UFC. Tons of top talent already licking to get the chance to compete with Islam. There's also a mix of future contenders, not to mention the prospect of Volkanovski wanting to go back up. Um, also, somebody we mentioned in featherweight year year talked about wanting to go back up to lightweight, so there's a lot of potential for some huge fights there. But even beyond that, with this division... Yeah, you don't even need to talk yeah. about featherweights. Right. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like, the Volkanovski fight happened in recently. Yeah, let's talk about 1 through 25. <laughs> but this division finding its new face after the retirement of Habib and after seeing the runs that Habib and Charles had during their reigns at the top... Um, it's crazy to see those guys are still there at the top, and those are all still good matchups and fresh matchups for a champ like Islam. Um, there's still just a little bit room for growth for uh, the top as some of these major matchups come up when you got some of these younger guys coming in, yeah. like a Faizeev coming up. And, I mean, even um, when you talk about <clears> – <throat> sorry. Even when you talk about, like um, – you know what happens with Benil? Like he hasn't faced some of these other top guys. So these top 
when you talk about like a, a Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler, they've kind of fought each other. Justin Gaethje, they've kind of all rotated between each other. But as they start, fight, start fighting some of these younger killers, this division gets really, really scary. Yeah, I think you still got like Tony Ferguson's reign. You know, like this was like when you get to two and one, I mean, really the top three, four, you know, but really these two, one and two, you had to get kind of nitpicky. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, when you see like your Dan Hooker is still ranked or like a Tony Ferguson that's still ranked or like, you know, like Poirier Gage, like, you know, some of these guys that have kind of been around and we've talked about a lot is like kind of starting to get like, hey, when you start like putting these guys in some younger, because mm-hmm. like I said, you could go like almost one through 20 in this division mm-hmm. and it's just littered with talent and we need to start figuring out, you know, do these guys that have been at the top for a long time, do they still get that number or is it time to kind of move them down and cycle in some of this younger talent? I mean, I mean, there's guys like, dude, a guy who doesn't even have a rank next to his number right now. And Patty Pimblett, he could go main event and sell out any stadium mm-hmm. right now in London or in the UK. That's how deep and crazy this division is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just littered with talent all over the place. So, uh, yeah, very obviously de- deserving of number two, but let's talk about it. Brandon, number one, what is our number one ranked division? All right. So obviously for number one, we have the men's bantamweight division. Um, I think when you talked about like the nitpickiness here, I yeah. think when you look at the top five of the lightweight and you look at the top five of the bantamweight, that to me is kind of what yeah. separates it. Like when you yeah. mentioned with lightweight, you still got your Poirier's, your Gaethje's, your Chandler's kind of hanging around. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to run through the, the bantamweight top five really quick. Um, so your champ is obviously Aljamain Sterling, and then you have Sean O'Malley, Piotr Jan, Marab Davashili, Marlon Vera, and Corey Sanhagen. Um, Crazy. And you can go through the top 15, and like and like we said, there's just nowhere to run in no. this division, and it is the most competitive. Um, it is just stacked. Um, so top to bottom, these guys are all killers, and it's just I mean, it's just ruthless. Yeah, I told you guys, there's guys that are ranked like, I mean, I'd have to see like, but like a Saeed or a Umar. Number, number 14th. Like, dude, that. he he could compete for the title. Like, mm-hmm. I really feel he, these guys, like there's guys that low in the rankings that like you could put them against number like four. Like, you know, you could do Umar versus Marab Dwalashwili and it'd be a great fight. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it is like this division, when you really look at it, is just crazy. Yeah, to me, this division is it's it's given those younger guys in these process, it's given them the rightful place in terms yeah. of the rankings where I feel like mm-hmm. it's just slightly lacking in the lightweight division. I agree. There it is. That is our UFC power rankings uh, by the division. So real quick, I don't have a great way of doing it, but we have number 12, let me scroll, women's featherweight, number 11, women's flyweight, number 10, Wyndham's bantamweight, sorry ladies. (laughs) <laughs> number nine, men's flyweight. Number eight, light heavyweight. Number seven, heavyweight. Six was middleweight. Five, men's featherweight. Four, women's strawweight. Three, welterweight. Two, lightweight. And number one, men's bantamweight. Love it, hate it. Let us Who know. Who would have thunk? You asked that 10 years ago. It's like, it's definitely going to be heavyweights. You know, you got John Jones and all these big fights coming up. And then now it's just these young guys, these smaller guys are Ten, just really wait. stepping up. You would have thought 10 years ago heavyweight would have been the best. John Jones light wasn't a heavyweight. heavyweight. No, I'm saying like heavyweight and light heavyweight with John Jones. Like those heavier weight classes were the bigger ones, I felt like. Heavyweight 10 years ago? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. You had like Kane. 2013. Yeah, probably not. I'd have to look. I don't, I, yeah, probably not. I mean, I'm six to 10 years. I'm just saying if you would have talked. Talk to yourself, you know. I feel like that was probably GSPs. A handful of years ago. Yeah. You're probably looking like 170 and up, whereas we're kind of looking. It would be interesting. I bet it probably wouldn't look a m- much different, though. 
Yeah. In some aspects as well. Maybe I mean, in the moment. Obviously, the women's maybe, divisions haven't been around that long. Maybe but. we can do that. We can make a 2013. We can go yeah, back and Dude, that'd be fun. Let's yeah. Do, yeah, let's do that next. That would actually be really fun. Do like a now and then 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. John, let's get into the news. Going on the news. Mm, going on the news. Mm-mm. If you don't like it, Brandon will punch you and give you a bruise. All right. After a random array of tweets from Dan Hooker calling a later to be named fighter, Islam Makachev, a cheater for bringing a nurse to give him an IV, things broke into what now seems to be either a company wide misunderstanding of the rules or a small group of fighters who found a loophole. After Hooker's comments, Twitter exploded with pictures of Islam with marks on his arm where IV would go, different stories, takes on the situation. It was reported that. Well, you didn't tell us what the comments were. The comments were people accusing him of cheating. Well, what was the comment, his direct comment? On oh, it? his direct comment was basically uh, Islam is a cheat. I, you can't sneak a nurse in and get it past us. It, it was a, a tirade. For of an a, IV. Yeah, for an IV. Um, yeah, I said it for bringing a nurse in to give him an IV is what I said. Um, but after Hooker's comments, all that stuff happened. It was reported that UFC and USADA handbook that an IV can be used if it is determined to be medically justified and within the standard of care by a licensed physician and administered by a licensed medical professional. What M- uh, MMA reporter Brett Akamoto surmised was that if an athlete takes an IV of more than the permitted 100 milliliters, as long as it's done by a licensed pro, it is not a violation, even in cases of dehydration caused by a weight cut. Um, so essentially, IVs for dehydrations were never really banned as long as a physician was the one who justified and performed it. So that's the initial comments. Um, obviously, Islam and his team completely denied doing anything wrong. Um, then eventually... Uh, Ali, Islam's manager, tweets out, for all those idiots out there, any fighter under the UFC banner can take two to three liters of IV as long as it's done by a nurse or a professional. Next week, I'm going to expose everybody. He shortly after deleted those tweets, causing a lot of people to call him out for incriminating himself and his fighters. Since these events, uh, the chairperson for the Combat Sports Commission of the Western Australia made a statement saying that there's no conclusive evidence that any UFC 284 fighter had breached the policies. Jeff Nowitzki, the senior vice president of athlete health and performance, sat down to clear the air and Islam's name, saying that um, I think the Australian Commission put out a statement last night saying that there's no credible evidence of him violating any of their rules. And I think I'll leave it at that. But he also said that they have specific rules that IVs are banned completely for rehydration purposes. So it wouldn't have mattered the volume or if there was a medical professional because Perth bans those type of IVs. Yeah, I, I mean, this whole thing to me is just, it's kind of gotten silly. I mean, I don't know, because I guess I did think that you could not right. take IVs. I thought that was something that they got rid of a long time ago, and I thought it was to discourage guys from cutting a ton of weight mm-hmm. um, just to try to make the sport a little safer. But I don't understand what the big, I mean, okay, he called it out. They didn't necessarily deny it, but they said he followed the rules. So I don't understand why people are so, like, been out of shape about it. I think it's what you said, though. People not under like people didn't know that this was something that right. people could do. Right, but it's been made since these accusations. It's been made known, like they've put it out there that essentially, as long as you're under this, it's done by a professional. You can do it. Um, maybe that, and I may, maybe like I said, but like you can't like 
if somebody, if Islam or somebody in his team was willing to sit down and read the rule book, like you can't fault the guy for that. Like if anything, like right, and check yourself. Like everybody has access to the same rules, right? And you they know? did said that the UFC and USADA made a ban, the IV ban, slightly flexible in 2019 to allow out of action fighters to get IVs if they feel sick or suffer from dehydration. However, every fighter has to follow the specific rules of the state commission where they're taking where the fight's taking place. So what I was saying about in Perth, you're not allowed to do it at all so if he did it at any even though the, under the ufc you can do it you still have to follow the state commission and in perth you're not allowed to do it at all so they're saying if he did do it technically that would be against the rules it's against the it's against perth's rules yeah. but every not every state commission can have their own rules on the iv but and perth's was but australia right, but you have to follow the state commission from where you're fighting but ufc or i'm sorry but australia's commission came out and said that they have found no evidence right yeah so as the people yeah. who are listening, they're saying if because it kind it almost sound like Ali was like admitting that yeah he does this because it's you're allowed to do it, but then for them to come out and say <laughs> that well in Perth you're not if he still did it technically that would be against the rules. Yeah, that would be interesting, you know, because I guess if it's you know it comes down to that whole like state federal law thing, you know, where some things can be legal or illegal on the state lo level but not mm -hmm. in federal. So I don't really know how that would work, you know, because I guess at that point like if he was found guilty Perth could suspend him mm -hmm. or his license but then like the ufc also necessarily wouldn't have to strip him either right. you know what right. i mean so i don't think as far as the title in the grand scheme of things i don't think it'll really matter in that aspect mm -hmm. I, I would think australia would be more inclined to try to find uh, islam oh, as being sure. a tier, given that yeah. he just right. fought volkanovsky yeah. so it's interesting that they haven't found found any evidence yeah mm -hmm. well like you john sent like a picture of um like it was Islam's like fight week photos where they like take pictures with the belt and stuff. And he had like a red mark on his elbow and everybody's like, look, he was taking it midweek or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I said, my knowledge of IVs is like, if you're cutting weight, that's the last thing. Cause it's like sugar and salt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, isn't that what is in IV? Like, I feel like that would make it harder to cut weight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and I think it's also becomes interesting. Cause like you said, you know, if his team sat down and found this loophole, great. I wonder if all these other fighters know it because we see some guys who, you know, really struggle with weight cutting. I haven't seen a lot of fighters come out and say anything, so maybe they're all doing it too, and it's the loophole that they've, you know, found and kept. But, I mean, even you talk about, like, a, a Charles who was, you know, half a pound off, you know, maybe if, if he knew he could take that afterwards, he goes a little harder, or, yeah, you know, Hamzat not making weight. And the, that's too bad, so sad. No, I mean, for sure. That's what I'm saying. If, if these guys are willing to sit down and know the rules or their rights, now if it's illegal in Perth, I guess, but like Brandon said, if they're – finding there's no evidence of it then there's no mm -hmm. evidence i don't i don't know why i don't know i mean i get it from a sense of like if there was foul play yeah but i feel like it's been pretty cleared at this point so mm -hmm. i don't really understand the big deal but go ahead it is what it is um there's been people calling for daniel cormier to not be allowed to commentate the upcoming fight against john jones and surreal gone <laughs> Uh, citing accusations of his biasness and commentary. Was this in your show notes? Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you didn't read them. That isn't my fault. No, I did, but we don't need to discuss this. This is silly. And John Jones already said right. he doesn't care. But that's what, that's the part that I thought was interesting because all their back and forths, John Jones kind of really took the high road on it and really respected him. And DC basically, you know, was was excited about that and was like, you know, I don't need to get permission to do those. But you just see a lot of fighters coming out against his commentary in particular. I just thought that was interesting. 
Um, well, since you don't want to talk about that, no, last Friday, so, just so like I saw some people saying like it's like who care <laughs> like, and clearly John Jones was like, dude, like that was years ago. I don't even care. Mm, right. The only thing I thought was funny is somebody was like, why don't because you know DC does those like sit down things, mm-hmm. and they're like, why don't you should do a sit down with him? And John Jones was like, let's not get crazy now. <laughs> like, let's right. not, like no, but yeah, no, that's like who cares? All right, well, silly. Uh, last Friday, an MMA manager took to Twitter to address rumors. Uh, to address a rumored list of fighters who will be competing on the Ultimate Fighter Season 31. Although the actual list hasn't been fully released, the list uh, included a couple notable former UFC fighters and interesting contenders. Um, but the manager put forth accusations that Connor was using his influence to have three fighters removed from the cast list in favor of his associates. UFC fighter Gilbert Burns and Chris Curtis also addressed the allegations. Burns saying that a former PFL 155 contender was one of the fights bumped off in favor of one of McGregor's guys. Uh, Curtis doubling down on that, saying that it was true. It prompted a Connor to respond in a since-deleted tweet saying that I only know one guy in the show and he put himself forward for it. Uh, I didn't request nothing and I certainly didn't have people removed. I'm just trying to get back in the mix myself, so F off. Who were the returners, the UFC returners? Uh, Chris Matuno. How you say his name? Matinho. Chris Matinho and, um, oh, who was the other one? Oh, um, Jason Knight. Those were the two big, bigger names on both Yeah, of that's the what list. I kind of, I didn't think it was going to be any of the, like, you know, like I said, like Eddie Well, and that's Alvarez. not official either, so there could <laughs> uh, still be some, yeah. some names not put on there, but, um, you know, Connor can't get into anything without there being, like, some extra stuff to it, so... And obviously he was he had Artem on the last time he yeah. did it, so that makes makes that interesting. Um, lightweight contender Benil Darouche did an interview with MMA Junkie, saying that the UFC had sent him a contract to fight Charles Oliveira. Although he's excited to fight a guy of Charles' caliber and resume, he feels he's far above anybody else who could be fighting for the 155 title. Um, obviously. Volkanovski has been talking for a rematch um, and he actually released behind the scenes footage of him and Islam talking after their fight and in the video Volk is saying we should do it again maybe in Abu Dhabi you deserve one in Abu Dhabi it's my turn to get booed uh, in the video it seems like Islam and his team seemingly agreed to the prospect of it but not necessarily for his next bout also worth noting that Islam has fought two championships fight in over four months and has Ramadan starting in March prompting the UFC champion to be out until at least April. So the the Benil and, and Charles fight makes a little bit more sense, unless Benil wants to wait, obviously, sure. which is something that we've talked about. But him saying that they finally have the contract and they're just working on the details kind of lets you know that the UFC is looking for Islam to be out till at least April. I think you turned your mic off. Guys, Brandon's going to buy a new mic cord one of these days, we yeah. promise. That'll be in the news when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, John. Um, we only have one big fight announcement this week, but it is a banger. Uh, Jalen Turner now has a new opponent for UFC 285 in the form of fellow contender, Mateus Gamrot. Yeah, that's Sign me up, man. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Um, obviously, Gamrot coming off of his loss to Benil, and then Jalen Turner has just been turning up on everybody. So, yeah, um, that's a great fight. Once again, lightweights. That's why they're there, man. Yeah. Uh, also, notable, also notable, Bellator announcing a return to Hawaii for a championship doubleheader as Liz Carmouch will be fighting Deanna Bennett for the women's flyweight title and Patchy Mix will fight Raytheon Stotts for the bantamweight title. Mm, good. That's a great fight, too. Yeah. Those, um, Dude, if Max Holloway doesn't get one UFC fight in Hawaii, that's going to be such a travesty. <laughs> like, if there's one guy that deserves mm-hmm. a fight in their home state, this is in America, so this isn't asking the UFC to, like, go to Africa like, you know, Francis tried or to a different, a new mark. I mean, I guess Hawaii is a little newer, but I, um, I can't recall if they've ever been there or not. But, like, 
this is in America. I mean, mm-hmm. like, we should be able to make this happen. Like, What's their biggest venue? I don't know. Maybe well, that's what it is. Bellator, been, Bellator's been there before. Um, Yancey Madero actually fought it on there, and that's when Diaz basically was trying to get, like, hey, cut me so I can go fight with my, my teammate in Hawaii, blah, blah, blah. But Raytheon Stotts is a, is a beast. Patchy Mix is really good. That a whole band of Grand Prix was amazing. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward yeah. to that. A couple UFC vets uh, had their – Bare knuckle boxing fights this past weekend with bad results for both. Diego Sanchez losing via doctor stoppage to Austin Trout after getting a huge cut open in the fourth. And Greg Hardy gets knocked out in his debut uh, in a second round knockout by Josh Watson. That was pretty brutal. And uh, the last bit of news I have is uh, boxing as well with superstar fighters Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis both signing contracts to fight April 15th in a super fight in Vegas with a at a 136 catch weight. Didn't I see... Tank Davis gets like supposed to be getting sentenced. Or oh, something. he uh, he, what did he do? I think he pleaded out, but he doesn't he doesn't have his sentencing until May. Okay, so they're gonna do the fight in April, and then he's probably gonna go to jail in May. So, word, <laughs> Brandon song of the week. We're gonna do celebrity status by Mariana's Trench. I don't One know. One of my it. punk roots, okay. Canadian punk band. I'd have to hear it. I'd have to hear it. John, what is your one for the people? My one for the people is two quick things. I uh, went and seen Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania on Thursday. Really enjoyed it. Jonathan Major as Kang is top-notch. I've just heard horrible things about it. I liked it, but... <laughs> Jonathan, hold on, hold on. I, know, I feel like I every time they do a Marvel it is. movie... I mean, you like what you like, but Jonathan Majors did a really, really great job. Marvel don't miss for John. I that think him as sure. Kang is really, really good. But also, birthday shout-out to my little brother, Zach Avelli. You want to feel old? This man's 22 today. Yeah, it's weird. Think about that. He's got a neck beard. I like it. (laughs) Brandon, what is your one for the people? Oh, man. One for the people. Uh, Don't underestimate the power of sleep. I'll just leave it at that. All right. I can feel that, man. John, 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ant-Man. God. Yeah, it's 84, 85% by the viewers. Listen, though. Kang better be good enough to to reinvest me into the entire series because it's... As of late, man, it's not been great. It's really good. Not, you not, mean like the whole MCU or yeah. just Ant Man in general? No, the whole MCU. Because like, don't here, tell John here, that, dude. Because I mean, lady, I don't care. I'll watch what I want. You yeah, guys watch what you want. No, I, John thinks just, it's just heating up, baby. Oh, no, they've just been. <laughs> wait, you been see a the, lot of wait, you see the me. the movie in the post credit. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, we'll see. I love it. Uh, yeah, I got some homework, boys. Hogwarts Legacy is calling my name, so we got to get out of here. I got some schoolwork to do. Just got my broomstick. <laughs> So we're out here. Congrats, dude. Yeah, we're out Round here. Round of applause. Yeah, we're out here flying. Uh, I'm doing Expelliarmuses all over the place, man. What, what house are you? Slytherin. Yeah, it makes sense. I was texting Jacob last night about it. I got a text from him. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna read. I'll just read you guys the text. This oh, is what gosh. I got. <laughs> I know he's a menace on there. This is what I got. I said, "What level?" He said, "What level are you?" I said, "17." He said, "Coward." Send me a picture of your wand. No homo. (laughs) 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 That is our Jacob Herlock right there. (laughs) Third instruction right there. But he had the best breakdown of this game. That's why I wanted to read it because we were just talking about how great the game is. Um, And I just said, you know, this game, it's just, it really is a phenomenal game. I said, probably the best game I've played since Red Dead Redemption 2. He said, I agree. I get stuck between progressing the storyline and just effing around killing spiders. LOL. <laughs> That's like so true. <laughs> That's like the best breakdown of this. Like, they need to put that in the commercial. You know, they put like reviews, like fan reviews. Yeah. <laughs> that should be it. I'm getting lost for progressing the storyline and killing spiders because that's what it is. Uh, That's what we got, boys. Come back next week. It's here. UFC 285, Surreal Gone versus John Jones. We're going to get you guys set up with our picks and predictions. Also, the return 
of the Queen, Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso. Can't wait to talk about UFC 285. So come back. We'll talk to you guys then. Peace. Peace.